You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how are you doing this afternoon? Great, Dave. Great to see you again. Good. Yeah, good to see you too. And uh, <laughs> we say we say good to see you and uh, folks on the podcast uh, listening probably don't realize we're watching each, talking to each other on video while we record. Since right. we uh, we can't really be in the same place right now, uh, with, uh, the COVID restrictions in place. That's right, COVID uh, rules. We probably actually we, we probably hang out more during COVID quarantine time than we did uh, non quarantine time. True. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's just just live video. So yeah, you're right. You're right. So uh, today's topic, a little more investment focused. A lot of folks, uh, you know, when they think about investing in the market, they, 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 it's a lot more fun to talk about individual stocks, right. focus on individual stocks. And as advisors, 99% of the time, we're advising people to focus on using mutual funds or some, some sort of diversified portfolio instead of individual stocks. Yeah, and it's um, it's definitely not as sexy or glamorous than individual stocks, but it definitely, and, and we'll talk about kind of the differences and why we don't right. recommend individual stocks. But, and, and, you know, it's funny, people always view us as, you know, investment guys. So it's always, hey, what's the hot stock? Or, hey, I've got this stock, what do you think? And I'm, I always feel bad because I'm always like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I don't follow yeah, right. individual stocks. So I don't know what to tell you. It's hard for me to give you any right. advice around individual stock. Because we don't, that's not what we do. For good reasons, uh, you know, in, but individual stocks, there's a story usually, right? Like, right? like Tesla and the new electric car and working on trucks and, mm-hmm. you know, changing the auto industry. And that's, that's great. It's fun and exciting, but it doesn't necessarily translate into profits. And Tesla's a horrible example right now because Tesla's <laughs> up some like thousand percent, right? But the bottom line is there was there's no real predictability or way to know that that's going to happen ahead of time as much as uh, Wall Street would like to convince us otherwise. When I was writing the article that went with this, what I had in mind was it was the day that Pfizer's um, COVID vaccine passed its first uh, round of trials. And, you know, I think I had two folks that morning on review calls say, boy, we should have bought Pfizer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it kind of illustrates the point that, yeah, looking at it, uh, you know, on that particular day, it would have been nice to own Pfizer that day or have owned it before. Right. <laughs> and, you know, be able to sell it on that day. Yeah, probably right. The more exciting thing. But, you know, then we then you switch gears and you talk about mutual funds, especially like we're using a lot of a lot of really boring index type funds, which is a whole nother topic. But, uh, you know, they're just not as, as glamorous or exciting and there's nothing we can do about that. But that that doesn't have anything to do with the investment rationale. Fortunately, it's not, you know, mutual funds, not not cool, not glamorous, but get the job done. Um, so, yeah. and, you know, it's not cool to talk to your neighbor about, hey, guess how many shares of XYZ mutual fund I have. But it's super right. cool to yeah. be like, hey, you know, I own Tesla and I just bought their $250 yeah. tequila too. So. Right. I got some status going. (laughs) Right. And, you know, so, so in a nutshell, to kind of kick things off, when we talk about mutual funds, that's a diversified portfolio of a whole bunch of different companies. 
right. combined. And you'll see different mutual funds for different purposes, depending on the group of stocks and sometimes bonds that are inside them. But as opposed to one company with one story behind it. Right. So that's that's the differentiating factor. So we talk a lot about risk as financial advisors. Mm-hmm. And the way I put it to clients is that there's two types of risk. And the fancy name for the first type of risk, there's two types of risk in investments. And the, the first type of risk is what we call systemic risk. Mm-hmm. And that's the risk that's associated with being in the market in general as part of the system. And that's where the name comes from, systemic risk. Right. If you want to be in the market and you want to earn a higher return than what you make on bank and savings accounts, that's a risk you have to take mm-hmm. in the market. And there's nothing, there, there's no way around it. It's to, you're either in the, in the market or you're not to a certain degree. But the flip side of that is when we talk about taking more risk to expect more return, systematic risk pays off in the long run. That if I advise Nick to put 80% of his portfolio in stocks instead of 60%, he's taking more risk, but we would expect in the long run to have a higher return for having more stock in his portfolio, right? Absolutely. And I think it's important to understand that there is no such thing as no risk, right? Everything has risk. It's just, there's different types and there's different levels of risk, right? And so this is, you know, investing in the stock market is a, you know, you have that market or that systemic risk associated with it. And whenever you increase risk, you should get increased return over longer periods of time. That's kind of of how it works, that risk reward relationship. Right. Right. So then when we're talking about stocks, there's a second type of risk. And the uncreative name that researchers have given it is non-systemic risk. Right. (laughs) And so non-systemic risk is the risk that you take on when you buy one company. Mm -hmm. Okay. So systemic risk is the risk of being in the market in general. Non-systemic risk is the extra risk you take when you buy Ford instead of the whole auto sector, right? Or when you buy Pfizer instead of all of the S and P five hundred, the five hundred biggest stocks in the country, right? So it's also a, a, like a more a more direct name for it is business risk. Sure. And and so outside of what the market does in general, based on the economy, business risk is those things you can't control as a shareholder where the company may screw up is, is the easiest way to put it. Right. When Merck had, uh, uh, you know, to shift gears from Pfizer for a second, when they had Vioxx, one of their major um, anti-inflammatory drugs, pulled off the market suddenly, that stock, it got cut in half like right. overnight. And we, we've all seen scenarios like that, or if there's an accounting problem or, you know, just something along the lines, you see that company take a hit, but not the market as a whole. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and I, th- and I think to that point too, what we're, what we're trying to say here as well is owning an individual stock because you get non-systemic risk with that increases your risk. It increases your risk, but Back to the what we were talking about with systemic risk. If you take more systemic risk, we expect you to do better in the long run. 
right. taking non-systemic risk by buying individual companies, that doesn't improve your, at least in a, any predictable form, what your returns will be. Right. Absolutely. So, and it, and it so, sounds kind of counterintuitive because you think of all the, and, and you hear all these stories, right? Because it goes back mm-hmm. to the story. Hey, I bought Tesla. It's up a thousand percent. That's great. And that's fine. And there's a limited number of people that actually bought Tesla and, and went mm-hmm. up a thousand percent. Unfortunately, what time has proven again and again and again is that nobody can correctly do that on a, on a regular basis. And you hear about, so it's kind right. of like gambling. If you if you know somebody who's a big gambler, you hear about all yeah. the time when they win and you never hear about what when they lose. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> when uh, I, I haven't had to do this in a while, but it used to be when I worked in a different setting, people would come into my office just passing by where I was and they would talk, they would, they would want to talk about stocks and they would tell me about their three greatest purchases. And I would look at them very straight faced and congratulate them and then say, okay, now tell me about your three worst, right? You know, what are the three that you're most ashamed of? And most of them didn't really want to talk about those, but it's not that those don't exist. The big thing about non-systemic risk is you can get rid of it by diversifying. Right. So why take more risk that you're not likely to be rewarded for unless you're lucky when you can diversify your portfolio and make that risk go away yeah. at the end of the day. It's, it's not nearly as exciting. Right. It's much more fun to talk about individual stocks, but it doesn't, you know, follow them in the newspaper. Don't necessarily own them. Or own them with much, much, much smaller quantities, like maybe 5% or less of your overall portfolio. Yeah. Um, True. Yeah. That, yeah. That's there, there are, there are situations where it's acceptable. You want to keep it in a in a dosage that won't mess up your portfolio. Yeah, just whole. like you know, if you enjoy going out to the casino and gambling, great, but don't do right. that with your entire, you know, don't put your entire portfolio <laughs> on red. Right. Um, take a small portion and enjoy it. That's yeah. entertainment. It's not investing, right? Yeah. Um, right. And the other thing I'll say before we move off the risk, Dave, is the other part of that is because every company has a story and because we can attach ourselves to it, there's emotion that's involved with that. Right. And yeah. the issue with emotion is, hey, great, Tesla went up a thousand percent. Now let's sell it. Wait a minute. Yes. I, I did so good for me. What if it, what fear of missing out, right? What if it goes up another thousand right. percent? And I'm the, you know, I'm the guy that sold it and didn't ride it up to the other thousand percent. Right. And that is the problem. It's much, much harder to, contain that emotion in an individual stock with a story of the company that you like than it is a plain old vanilla mutual fund with a hundred different stocks in it that you never get emotionally attached to any of them. And the manager then hopefully is also not getting emotionally attached and can sell the ones that don't make sense and buy the right mix and pair back the winners and the losers for a long-term return. A behavioral finance expert would tell you that What's happening there too with individual stocks is because you can wrap your mind around a story like this company does this and they will be profitable because they do that. We want to look for patterns and causality. It's, it's human nature. And we, we, we can extrapolate this story to ourselves about why this stock is the right pick. You, you just don't get that with a mutual fund, but it's, it's the human brain playing tricks on us really about yeah. what's the better investment. And, you know, how many times in, in our careers have we talked to people that 
worked for a company or had a friend that worked for a company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my I, I had a lot of GM retirees. I still have yeah. several. You know, well, you know, the new Corvette's coming out in August, and you know what that'll mean for GM stock. Oh yeah, and you know, <laughs> I, I, I would hear that every year, and, right? Or every every year there was a new model release, something along some variation of that all the yeah. time. Well, and, and- I we heard that too. Two thousand eight, a great example. I had GM employee clients that you know were good with would road GM stock all the way to bankruptcy because yep. GM's too big to fail. They'll never go bankrupt. If GM goes bankrupt, the whole United States is going to collapse. And just this irrational thought behind it. And I get it from the emotional standpoint. They got so much from GM of so much of their life mm-hmm. wrapped up in it. They just couldn't mm-hmm. comprehend the fact that it might you know have to go through bankruptcy to come out on the other hand. And and we get we get wrapped up in that that we have some special knowledge where what right. what we know is no better than you know we live in the information age, right? Anything about these companies is public knowledge and built into the stock price already, right? So For sure. Going back to the topic a little bit, when when you buy an individual stock and you hold it for the long run, if it does well. It's going to have periods when it outperforms the broad market and periods when it underperforms the broad market. But over time, it's probably going to have a very similar return to the market that it's a part of. Right. So like I, I've, I looked at a chart before this call about that shows Pfizer because that was what was at hand with the COVID sure. vaccine coming out and looked at it for the last 25 years. And over 25 years through December 20, uh, I'm sorry, December, early December 2020, if you had bought Pfizer, you would have had a 741% cumulative return. Mm-hmm. But if you had just bought the standard and poorest 500, the boring old standard and poorest 500, you actually would have had an 838% return. Right. But there were times in there in the early, late 90s, early 2000s when Pfizer greatly outperformed the S&P 500, kind of like Tesla's doing now. And then there were a good 10 years in the middle when it underperformed and the Standard & Poor's 500 caught up and then it shifts. And so what you see is this fairly steady line for the broad market and this oscillating up and down line for Pfizer. And you end up, you started in the same place and you end up in the same place. It's just a matter of where you are on those loops, whether you're outperforming or underperforming at any given time. And it's, you know, and, and there's plenty of examples similar to this. And it, and it kind of goes back mm-hmm. to just the thought of, you know, if you buy the S&P 500, if you buy the mutual fund, you're certainly not going to be, it's not going to be the best performing thing out there, but it's not going to be the no, worst right. either, right? Right. Um, <laughs> it's going to be the collective average of the good and the bad. <laughs> exactly. So Almost um, by definition. Yeah, and, and it's just kind of that plain old vanilla, you know, we we hear, you know, the, the saying, it's better to be lucky than good. Well, in this case, it's right. okay to be good. And you should want yeah. to be good <laughs> because chances are right. you're not getting lucky. <laughs> you won't be lucky twice. Or, right, yeah. yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, to kind of close out, I think I, I th- actually think I've used this quote on this ex- this podcast before, but as Warren Buffett's fond of saying, your investments should be boring. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, it's good enough for uh, for the Oracle at Omaha. It should be good enough for us, right? Absolutely. And, and <laughs> what I would say to that is, is kind of similar, but, you know, if you take on the least amount of risk 
that you can to achieve all of your goals, right? Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and thank you for yeah, bringing it back to financial planning as we should. It's about the it's about what you do with your money and 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 what your goals are. And I haven't talked to anybody lately whose goal was just to amass the biggest portfolio possible. Right. right. Sure. It was it was it was to meet certain goals, provide security, whatever those goals might be. And so right, take the least amount of risk you can to get that done. Right. Absolutely. I think uh, I think we've covered that pretty well. And, yeah. Uh, Thanks for your time this afternoon, and uh, we'll see you again with the next one. You bet, Dave. Always a pleasure. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.